Welcome to Business Unmuted, a business discussion programme for the north of England, which is also available and as a good podcast on various podcast sites. The programme is brought to you in association with Virtue BMW, part of Gateshead-based Virtue Motors PLC. If you're in the market for a new, used or fleet vehicle, its dealerships are in Stockton, Durham, Sunderland, Malton or York. Now, according to a closely watched Persian Managers Index, S&P Global, output in hospitality, retail and other services rose last month to its highest level in 10 months, despite confidence among other businesses waning. The index rose for a third consecutive month to reach what they call 62.6, which is up from exceeding the 50 mark, which means it's more growth than contraction. It's good, in other words. The industries covered in the index are some of those that have been hit hardest by the pandemic and the recruitment for those uh, industries has been an issue over the last two years. The UK still has a record number of vacancies, about 1.3 million unfilled jobs, but our unemployment rate has fallen too, to 3.9%, with employment rate uh, of people in jobs of 75.6%. Now, my guests to talk about the general economy and their businesses today are Sarah Ellaby, Chief Executive of Nova Pangea Technologies, Alistair McLeod, Chief Executive of Grey Fox Consulting, and down the line, we've got Sim Hall, Managing Director of Populous Select, who are recruitment specialists, which are appropriate given the recruitment issues. Let's start with you, Sarah. A very warm welcome. Now, you've got a fantastic new business in Teesside, and the business is a a technology, environmental business. Tell us all about it. What is it you're doing? So what we do is we've, uh, Nova Pangea has developed a process technology called RefNova. RefNova takes uh, woody and agricultural plant residues Uh, turns those, converts those into sustainable sugars and biocarbons. The sugars are then fermented to uh, bioethanol, further downstream to sustainable aviation fuel. The biocarbons actually replace coal and coke within the steel industry uh, to create green steel. Actually, this part of our process is is carbon neutral uh, and it can also be used as a carbon capture and a sequestration uh, so it's quite a, an interest in right in the centre of net zero and, and decarbonisation. Absolutely, and it seems to me that you're, you're, as you say, in the centre, but really early on in the, the chain of technology that's needed to decarbonise. So where did all the technology and the ideas and the science for this come from? How have you brought it together? Uh, this has been, actually, this has been uh, in, in the mix for some time now, way back to the 1960s, and it actually came out of the Latvia Wood Institute, Uh, where two founders, uh, an Irish founder as well as an Australian founder, uh, came together uh, to basically uh, bring this technology to market. I've been in the business for just over two and a half years. Uh, At the time when um, I joined, when we'd just completed construction of of the demonstration unit at at Wilton International, and now we're at a phase where we are uh, moving into a sort of commercialisation, internationalisation of the business. Now, for those people watching or listening to this outside of the Tees Valley area, the Wilton Centre is like the biggest chemistry set in Europe, really, isn't it? It's a vast area where the UK's chemistry industry has uh, been located. And I suppose uh, that is a great place to build a proving plant. And that, as I understand, is what this is, a a sort of proving plant for the technology. It is. It's, um, you know, we've, uh, Refnova's very interesting process. It's two phases. Uh, we've, we've run over a thousand hours on the front end, which is Nova Pre, uh, and on the back, back end of our of Refnova, which is our steam-assisted rapid pyrolysis, 
we've run over 500 hours so um, you know we're really it's a 5,000 uh, ton output uh, pre-commercial scale plant uh, we are looking to scale that out in co into commercial production next year much larger volumes yeah. uh, around about 6 million litres of uh, bioethanol and 10,000 tonnes of biocarbon uh, so both have very much uh, in, in the sort of decarbonisation of transportation and industrial sectors. So to go from 5,000 to, what was it you said, 6 million? Well, 20,000 output, so right. it, it, it equates to around about 6 million litres of right. ethanol. So, so very, very significant numbers. To go from the, the, those numbers to the, the much more significant numbers, will it need a, an entire new plant to be constructed? or will it? No, be? we're actually scaling out. So we've, we've got our proof points, we're optimising... Uh, mm -hmm the plant currently and we're actually scaling out not up scaling out so mm. uh, in order to accelerate commercialization uh, and to get our first plant built which hopefully will be on Teesside um, you know this is a way we've already got some of the equipment so we are currently in a, a financing round uh, to basically obviously realize that sort of commercial uh, availability of our products next year. I wouldn't be so rude as to ask you about how your finance round's going, but I, I just wonder what is the key thing that you're saying to people who you might want to invest about the north of England and, and what you're doing here? Uh, what, what, what levers are you pulling to tug at their investment uh, instincts? Well, we, we enable decarbonisation. So our products are, is a precursor to sustainable aviation fuel, which is one of our largest markets. Uh, we are we are uh, partnered with British Airways and Landsajet to deliver 113 million litres of sustainable aviation fuel. That's 12 Refnova plants in the in the UK. Um, you know we are right in an industrial mm. uh, hub. Um, you know where we require lots of of skills uh, and workforce, uh, specialised workforce, engineering, process op uh, operators um, within within this region. So it's quite desirable. Uh, but from an investment perspective, uh, we are looking internationally. Um, you know, we've, we, we have struggled. Uh, we are a capital intensive business. Uh, the next phase of our scale up requires not just one or two million, it requires tens of millions mm. uh, in order to get plants on the ground. So we are actually looking at sort of uh, bringing in capital internationally, which is disappointing actually for the UK because there is a gap in the ecosystem of funding for uh, scale-up scale up businesses like Nova Pangea. Well, I hope it's sorted and I hope that Tees Valley will help you make the case because it, it sounds like exactly the kind of thing that's needed in the north of England. It's part of the levelling up agenda, I suppose, to get this kind of uh, facility up and running. By the way, just before we move on to Alistair and the other people, you, you have worked all over the world and have you returned home to Teesside or has you, have you decided to come home to the north or was it always your... <coughs> So I've, I've worked internationally, I've worked in the US for 18 years across various industries, quite oil and gas, mm. industrial, uh, you know, natural resources. Um, it was just time to come home. Uh, I was born and bred in Yorkshire, so, you know, this is, this is obviously uh, very close to my, close to my heart. Um, but it was just time, there was a lot of activity, uh, energy companies popping up. Um, it seemed like the UK was on the forefront of decarbonisation um, but I think you know again it's it, there's a gap in that market of finance and I found that to be quite disappointing. 
I, I ask you the question because this is a personal opinion. I'm going to try and do something about it as well, but with campaigning, and that is about the diaspora mm -hmm. of people who the north of England has sent around the world. You are a good example of that. And uh, we now have many more vacancies available. In fact, I'll flash a slide up from the Daily Mail that shows vacancies are up around 80% in the north compared to other parts of the country where they're, they're growing, mm. but they're not growing that much. And uh, Sim Hall and the recruitment side, uh, and I probably believe, don't we, we need to attract people like Sarah back. She's a shining example, Sim. Absolutely. You know, to, uh, to bring in a talent like Sarah to back to the region is incredible. Um, Sarah, uncharacteristically, has been quite modest uh, with, with what she's talking about. You know, the, this is a world-class technology. We're not just centre... Uh, net zero centre in Teesside for the UK, but what Sarah's doing and, and, uh, and other similar businesses are um, making us the uh, global centre for net zero. You know, this is a this is a industrial revolution that we're getting here, and uh, and 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 you're driving that. So to to bring the talent that Sarah's got also attracts that uh, that the rest of that talent to come in behind it. So yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, we'll, we'll talk about the diaspora properly in, in a few minutes. I mean, my own firm wants to get people in and get mm -hmm. them, if necessary, if they're not here because they've left, my own daughter left to go and work in America. And I'd mm. like the young people of talent to consider working for people like me, people like you, uh, and, and look at the North again. Well, now let's bring Alistair in. Now, you're running a new, new business, aren't you? It's in IT, and uh, you're doing work for small businesses and large. Yeah. Tell us what the, what the product is that you're offering people. So we, uh, we're boutique consultancy based in the centre of Newcastle, although we do work uh, nationally. We've got um, uh, clients of various sizes in that SME uh, sort of spectrum. Um, the, 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 the key thing that we provide is the strategic um, IT consultancy view point that an SME not necessarily has. Um, they, 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 they might have some internal IT staff, they might have a, um, a provider who's providing them with some, some reactive support. We, we come in and provide that um, IT director level strategic perspective, help them understand you know, how they can actually really push their business on using technology and how they can, um, and, and what that investment plan needs to look like in terms of digital. And also perhaps to refresh what is being done in the digital space as well, because a lot of businesses, and my own business has been going quite, after, my yeah. business is 34 years old. It needs a bit of a refresh every so often. What accountancy software are you using? What customer relationship software are you using? How do they link? Absolutely, and I, I mean, we, we talk about digital transformation on two axes. We talk about um, how you use it to um, accelerate your, the experiences and uh, services you provide to your customers, and we talk about how you use it to accelerate and become much more efficient in, in the way that you work. Um, and what we often find is organisations that have been around a bit longer um, have adopted the technology, but it's not that well aligned. They're trying to scale up, but they, they realise that the data and the information that they've got in their business isn't isn't really mm -hmm. cutting it. And what we do is we come in and sort of look at how that that, that can be sort of streamlined and how those, those systems can talk to each other, what systems they might need to bring in, um, how they can get more with their data. Because at the end mm -hmm. of the day, it's all about data. It's about mm -hmm. driving business decision driving driving insight through data. I suppose the digital uh, infrastructure of your business will be as fundamental as the actual plant, won't it? I was just going to say, I was going to get his card then. You know, <laughs> we, that's exactly what we're looking at. Is, yeah. you know, it's it's a, just a new era of doing business. Mm. Uh, working through a pandemic, everything is sort of online. Mm. Uh, there's hybrid, you working as a, as, you know, a hybrid system. You've got to be able to leverage digitization uh, you've got to be able to leverage uh, industrial IoT, and that goes to 
um, making sure that your workforce is, uh, you're upskilling your workforce and reinvesting back into, into people and in your workforce to ensure that they're fit for purpose uh, moving forward. IT skills are, I find, in this industry are lacking um, and so we've, we've got to actually bring people up uh, for the next phase I, I, of the business. I, I, I see that as well and I know in my own workforce that everyone we like to think is really on it but actually sometimes it can be a little intimidating. You People have got their own core skill but in order to implement their core skill they need to have the uh, ability to get into the digital space mm. with confidence. Mm. Um, and is that something you can help businesses with in terms of interacting with the workforce? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, just on that point about, you know, people um, upskilling and finding it easy, I think what, there's, there's two sides to that. There's one that the investment that companies need to make, and it's, it's emphasis on the board of directors there to really put that investment into the training and upskilling of people within their own organisations. It's easy to play a victim, isn't it, and say there's not enough digital skills around, but actually mm. organisations need to take responsibility for that. Um, but the second side of that is then to, to, to put in place IT systems that actually you know, create value and are easy to mm -hmm. use. Mm. You know, one of the things that we talk about a lot in, in the work that we do is, is getting that balance between having a system there that is actually useful versus the, the admin burden that it might actually create, you know, how you get data into the system and how you get data out. And there's got to be a real focus on making sure that that is as seamless and easy to do as possible mm. for the end user so they can actually get on and do their job and it's the data that's just informing their day-to-day their -day work. And having a consultant like you come in, I suppose, is also a help of not letting the IT companies drive the change because, mm. you know, you regularly have software updates or companies that well, we want to do it this way, we want to add a video link, yeah. we want to... Sometimes that will be entirely appropriate, yeah. but it's obviously driven for the purpose of generating profits for IT companies. Yeah, and I mean, I think, I mean, one of the things I think make us unique is that we, I, I, you know, my, my early career was in a technical uh, role, so, so I know exactly what it's like to, to get excited about technology and get sort of very enthusiastic about it. But, but the second half of my career was, as, you know, as a director of a, of a large consultancy company, we, we grew that business to 200 people. And so I've got the, the, the businessman's hat on as well. And I understand the challenges that the board of directors have in terms of making sure that they make the right investments and they're using technology appropriately. Now you're you're also going all around the country as well, which is great because you've got yeah. clients everywhere and, yeah. and, that, and that's good. You've got a good start. How long have you been in business now? It's, we've been going for um, two and a half years now. Nearly. Great. So you're still in starter starter. Yeah. Stage. Well, the pandemic had a big uh, big impact on that. Obviously, we set up three months before the pandemic hit, which um, which knocked our business plans back a little bit. But you know, since since the first lockdown, um, people have have really. Um, embraced the use of technology. They've seen mm. how it can actually enable their businesses to continue to function in in, in the face of adversity. And 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 we're 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 engaged with lots of organisations who now want to make those those sort of choices they made in the pandemic much more concrete and, and scalable. Yes, and also that to make sure because I mean in my own business I freely admit that you know in the first few months of that lockdown we sort of bolted this onto that and yeah, we yeah. got a bit patched that there and just made it work. Yeah, yeah. And we come back into the office, everyone's really enjoying back in being back in the office, the creative environment's buzzing again. But uh, suddenly it creaks at the seams a bit. It does, yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, let's move to Sim. Now, Sim, you've been recru recruiting at Pace in the last few months at your popular select recruitment consultancy. Nice to see you were working with Sarah at uh, uh, Nova Pangea. But tell us where you see the growth in recruitment vacancies the most in terms of your own uh, field. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're seeing it right across the board, Graham. Um, 
you know, we do have this uh, need for the, the higher levels uh, where we work, the professional search and the exec search, uh, and that is a challenge. You know, you, you talked about the uh, unprecedented level of vacancies, not only in the country, but in the region, which are growing uh, at a frightening rate. But we still in the Northeast have the highest unemployment rate. Uh, so there is a disconnect there, which, you know, it tells a story about the, the levels of vacancies and where those vacancies lie with the specialists, with the, uh, the, the scientists and the uh, engineering staff that uh, I know that um, they're required for businesses like Sarah's, uh, like Nova Pangea. But uh, that's where we come in. That's where we really tackle it. But then we're also looking at what's happening with these large anchor projects that are going on with it, with the, the likes of the BPs, the Net Zero. There's going to be around 3,000 construction workers going to be required in the Northeast. So, you know, there's 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 a huge amount of uh, requirement across uh, Teesside, across the Northeast. It's um, a bit like Alveda saying pet in reverse. <laughs> uh, when I was a young guy, first got into my career, that TV show was was a big TV show. Geordie Brickies going yeah. to uh, going to Germany because they couldn't get jobs. Now it's the opposite. We want them back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I remember they did come back actually, uh, Graham. If you remember, and I think the second, third series, they, yeah. they took the uh, transport the bridge to bits. But hopefully, they'll <laughs> be doing that's that. right. But uh, yeah, the, the, you know, I mean, across across. Teesside was seeing this, but we work internationally. Um, Forty percent of our uh, turnover is actually export, and we're working across a number of different regions, Europe and into with the US. And that's you know we're seeing the same picture over there. So it's uh, it, it, it's, it it is a it is a challenge. Now, Sim, you and I were at a business event last week. Uh, there was a hundred businesses in the audience, so it was a representative sample. And I was I had the pleasure of chairing it, and I asked uh, three questions. Uh, the first question I asked is, uh, put your hand up if your business will turn over more money this year, and about 90% of the people put their hand up. Mm -hmm. uh, then I asked them to put their hand up if they would make more profits this year than last year, and about 75%, but a clear majority put their hand up. And then I asked them to put their hand up if they were trying to recruit people, and every single person put their hand up. Mm -hmm. Now, um, the problem is as you've said in specialist areas but there's also in non-specialist work the the newspapers are running this phrase the great lie down where people have not come back to work and you've got um baggage handlers at Heathrow problems recruiting people to do security at Manchester airport which have been high profile this week as people have been going on easter getaways can I ask a hard-edged question of everyone? And I, I don't mean to propose this. I'm not a politician. Uh, and my days in politics are well and truly over. But if we've got 1.9 million people uh, vacancies and we're still paying people to be on the dole, should we maybe look at the benefits bill and look at the way benefits are paid and maybe have an element of compulsion? And maybe there still is. What, what do you think, Sim? Uh, yeah, I think the, the government have few, a few other things on at the moment, but uh, I'm sure that it, it's something worth exploring. Um, I, I think, you know, one of the, the key areas, and it's something that isn't being addressed and BP have got behind it regionally, is that upskilling. Yeah. And uh, it, it's going to be a challenge across every region. And, you know, IT skills, we've been talking about that. That's that's a huge area for development. But to, to, to for any region to, to be successful for the future, not only um to attract that this this uh, uh, diaspora of talent back to the region 
which uh, I think it was also something you asked Graham and uh, the audience who had worked abroad. Oh, yes, I did, yes. I think 95% of the Yeah, it was extraordinary. I was really blown away by that. I asked 100 yeah. people in a room how many people had had a career abro uh, outside the Northeast before returning. And virtually every one of them had come back. Mm -hmm. It was really, it was a genuinely extraordinary answer. Okay, so let's just look in general about some of the cost issues and the cost pressures. But the vacancies have got to be dealt with. Training is certainly one, mm -hmm. one way around it. Um, what does what what other ways are there? There, there could be compulsion, which would be the, the stick rather than the carrot. What are the carrots? What what do you think? Uh, well, I, I think um, I think a couple, a couple of things. I think, as I said before, I think we as business leaders need to take um, responsibility for trying to engage more with with people and, and, and invest in that. I mean, I work as a volunteer as an enterprise advisor with a with a secondary school in, in, in North Shields, John Spence, and that that's really for me to actually sort of work with. With the pupils and make them aware of what what, what opportunities lie ahead, mm. um, but I think also we've got to we've got to invest in um, technology. Um, so so you know we talk about that upskilling, actually putting technology in place to to, to, to automate some of those more mundane routine mm. activities, uh, administration mm -hmm. functions, etc., and then investing in those people to actually upskill them. So that, that there are opportunities to, to do things like that as well. Okay, and Sarah, you've obviously recruited a core team. What's mm -hmm. 18, 19 people or something mm -hmm. to run it? What 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 uh, what's been the bait that you've used to persuade them to come and work with you? Um, you know, it's just an exciting technology, um, mm. and of course, um, when I first arrived there, I had to recruit an entire new team. So um, I use my persuasive powers to, to to bring them on on site. A very very exciting sort of business, but also. Uh, you know, looking to scale this internationally, um, but we 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 also are recruiting right now. Uh, Sims working with us, uh, but we're struggling to recruit people into the business because ultimately, you know, our business will you know quadruple in size uh, in relatively short order. Um, so what we've decided to do is look at you know at bringing apprentices in mm. into the business, um, also one year placement, mm. uh, STEM. So we're promoting STEM. Uh, it's our nearly a third year, and uh, we've got uh, you know basically one year placements coming in. Um, it's a great opportunity for them because of working in a small business with lots of exposure to the executive team, including myself. And at the end of that one year, we're looking at making it making a, an offer uh, to those individuals. So it's sort of creating your own funnel of talent mm -hmm. uh, and future proofing your talent. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I think that's necessary. Um, but also, you've got to be employees have have got to be very competitive in regard to sort of salaries and mm. the whole package, uh, because you know, generally, if you find a really good quality candidate, they've probably had two or three offers alongside yours. So, how do you sort of hook them into the business? And it's and it's coming down to packages. Mm. Um, so I think you have to, you know, perhaps pay a premium. Um, and you've got to be competitive, but you've got to have a compelling uh, sort of value proposition, really strong culture, um, and obviously, you know, big vision for the company. People, people tend to follow. I think that's absolutely right. I'd subscribe to that. The, the thing I've just, uh, I shouldn't answer my own question, but one thing I've done in the last few weeks, which I think might might be interesting, I've recruited more people in our audiovisual side. People are watching this. There's cameras the other side of the uh, of the screen and uh, audiovisual. Uh, we've been relatively successful and I've also offered, I, I went to talk to some of the students at, uh, who were doing audiovisual uh, at uh, college and uh, they were explaining they had a couple of days they weren't at college. So I've created, and they've all pitched for this, a specialist two day a week part time job 
for them to come in and apply the skills in a commercial environment, mm -hmm. accepting, you know, that they will not be the uh, the uh, the absolute first choice because they're not that experienced mm -hmm. yet. But uh, it's been quite interesting to see them coming in and applying for a job in a sort of commercial environment rather than an internship, yeah. and mm -hmm. it would be paid mm -hmm. properly. Can mm -hmm. I just pick on on something uh, you, you you mentioned? I think the other the other point is not is retaining talent. It's yes. not just about acquiring absolutely. talent. It's yes. about retaining it. And the point you made about culture and values and shared vision is absolutely critical. In my previous role, we had a we had a pipeline of, of graduates and apprenticeships coming through, and we, we, we used that very successfully. We had some people who stayed with our business for 10, 15 years, coming out of university, and then growing into management and leadership positions, mm -hmm. because we had the right culture, and we had the right, right vision for the company. So retaining talent is, 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 is equally as important as trying to get new talent on board. You're certainly right. Yeah. Well, Sim, I've almost left, I'm gonna give you last word, because we've got a wrap, and you've been down the line, so we've been talking around you. What's your last word on retaining talent? Uh, on retaining talent, no, absolutely, I completely agree with that uh, that culture. The, the the other thing is, you know, from a uh, from a regional point of view, what we're seeing is, um, if not retaining it within the company, certainly retaining it, retaining it in within the region. And uh, from the, from what we're seeing, not only these large scale uh, anchor projects, but we're also seeing these more entrepreneurial style of uh, scale up scale out businesses as Sarah's mentioned you know that will attract and retain talent in the region which is so crucial for the future well thank you very much Sim thank you Alistair and Sarah thank you for joining us there'll be another business unmuted uh, the week after Easter we're taking a, a, a one-week break around Easter and we'll see you soon thank you <laughs>